0: As we think about the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, let's backtrack to the wisdom literature we began in. And if you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we will be flipping between Ecclesiastes and then you might want to shuffle a couple of pages uh, back in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 4. We're going to be going back and forth between these two books a little bit this evening. While you're turning there, let me welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us, Uh, This evening we're thrilled that you're here. We hope that you'll fill out an attendance card and that you'll let us know uh, who you are and that you can come up and introduce yourself to us so we can find a way to encourage you. As we think about the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a very interesting one. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's one of those books that doesn't necessarily specify who the author is. It's not the only book in the Bible we have that doesn't do that. We do have some clues when we read through in the first verse in Ecclesiastes chapter one, the writer refers to himself as the preacher or the teacher. So when we refer to the author of Ecclesiastes, we'll be referring to the preacher. Now, if you'll notice, he says in verse one, the preacher is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And if we fast forward a few verses, we see in verse 12, I, the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, while we don't see it spelled out in so many words... ...if I'm thinking of a king of David... ...who was also a king in Jerusalem... ...my mind is naturally going to go to King Solomon. And King Solomon, having written... ...much of the wisdom literature that we have... ...seems to be a logical choice... ...when we think about the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, scholars later on have come back and said... ...well, the kind of Hebrew and the language that's used here... ...doesn't lend itself to the time period of Solomon. And so it could be another writer as we think about that... And so no matter what side of of that debate you come out on, it's clear when we read through the book of Ecclesiastes that we should be thinking of the life of Solomon. Because as you look through this book, you will see over and over again parallels to the life and the struggles of King Solomon. And so tonight as we try to unearth the treasures that are here in this Old Testament book, we're going to be looking at Solomon's life to highlight some of those lessons. Now sometimes we do in Ecclesiastes what... Uh, We often do when we read the book of Job, and that is we sort of start with the first couple of chapters and we see what's going on. In Job, for example, we see that he's undergoing all these trials Satan is throwing at him. And then we fast forward to the end of the book of Job and we see, all right, he remained faithful and he was rewarded. And sometimes we miss out what's in between. I think there's a temptation to do that with Ecclesiastes if you're like me, it's easy to say, well, here's what happens at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, everything is meaningless. And then we fast forward to the end of the book and remember the Creator in the days of your youth. And here's the, here is the final commandment to serve God. And, and we sort of forget what's in the middle, but it's, uh, it's going to be very exciting as we read through our daily Bible readings to see the wisdom uh, that is here uh, in this Old Testament book. If the author is a preacher, as he refers to himself... He has a very interesting way of starting this book. If you look in verse 2, he writes, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Your translation may use the word meaningless in there. You have that same sense. Everything is meaningless. Now, isn't that a wonderful way to start a book of the Bible? Everything is meaningless. That seems to start out on a rather pessimistic note. And it's, it's going to be a little risky as we read through the book of Ecclesiastes because the author isn't going to pull any punches as to what is truly meaningless. When I was in high school, one of my favorite things to do was to sing in our high school chorus. And every year we had something that I think is similar to the mid-state uh, choral auditions here. We had all west choral auditions. And What that would amount to is you would show up at a high school building and you would walk into a room with three judges you'd never seen before. You would sing certain portions of a piece that had been previously determined and you would sing that for the judges. Uh, They would score you and then you would go outside and you would wait to see where your score ranked you among all the other people. And they would take the top 10 or 15 people from each voice part and put you in an all-West chorus. It was was a lot of fun. It was really exciting and I was really looking forward to it. I had been practicing and I had an early audition time. It was about 8 in the morning, which was pretty good for me because even though I was in 10th grade, I still needed some help, you know, with the, with the low notes. And so I was there early in the morning, and I was ready to hit some of those low notes. And so we go through, and we, we audition, and we come out, and there were these computer screens. And, and the computer screens that would be up there would tell you your score as it related to everyone else's score. And so, of course, you'd wait around to see what your score was. You could wait there all day, uh, if you wanted to, to see if you made it at the end of the day. But I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to see my score. And so it came out and my dad and I were standing there and was very excited and, and saw my score up there and I was in the top 10, the top 10. It, it would show the top 10 and there was my score, there was my name in the top 10. Now, what you might not realize is at this point, it's about 9 a.m. in the day, which means there are a lot of other auditions that will, that will come. But at that point, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking top 10, This is great. This is what I've been practicing for. This is what I've been working for. I'm sure my father understood that this was only temporary, but he didn't say anything, and so he's standing there. And, and there was another parent of an individual that was in my course, and she was standing right there and looking at those. She said, you know what that score means? You know what that ranking means? And I said, no, what does it mean? This could be good, more good news. What does it mean? Is there something special I don't know about? She said, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. And if you've ever had just a a dream just crushed in one sentence, that's about how I felt at that point. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. And we still, even around our house, we joke about that to this day. Hey, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. I mean, she was probably trying to help me by not getting my hopes too high, but, uh, but she came across in a way that was really frustrating to me. And I went home and I was was so upset. I couldn't believe that. You know what? That means absolutely nothing. And it's tough for us, isn't it? When there's something we're invested in, to find out that means absolutely nothing, to say that something's meaningless, that kind of hurts. But as we read through Ecclesiastes, that's a risk we're going to have to take because the writer here points out some things that are meaningless, that mean absolutely nothing probably every one of us has asked the question, what is the point of life? What is the point? Why are we here? Did you know that the best-selling hardcover book, aside from the Bible, in American history, the title of that best-selling book was The Purpose Driven Life? To me, that tells me we are hungering for purpose. Our society is looking for a purpose. What what do I need to do? What is going to be my purpose? Why am I here? The writer of Ecclesiastes would say in chapter 2, verse 11, that's because God has set eternity in our hearts. Because every one of us has a hunger of, for eternity, a hunger for something eternal. And as we look around our world, people are filling that purpose void in their life with all kinds of things. And in fact, the writer here hits on a few of those. If you would, just begin reading with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. What he does here in these first couple of chapters is if you can just imagine a demolition crew coming through, he's going to take a a giant wrecking ball and just demolish things that people have set up as purposes in their lives. And so for the first couple of chapters, he's going to come across with that attitude that seems negative, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. But he's showing us things that don't ultimately have meaning in life. And later on, he'll show us what is meaningful. Meaningful. right now, as we think about what is meaningless, we see the first thing that he decides is meaningless in verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven in the few years of their lives. And in the next few verses, look at what he does. He enlarges his works, building houses, planting vineyards, making gardens and parks, all kinds of fruit trees, ponds of water to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And as if that wasn't enough, in verse 8, he talks about the silver and gold he collected. And so he talks about all the pleasures of men that he drew unto himself. He became great. In verse 9... "...increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem." Verse 10, "...all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor." And look at the conclusion once we get to all of this pleasure he's experienced. "...thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind." And there was no prophet under the sun. You may have noticed in your bulletin that verses have been marked in these first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. And they're marked because they show us how many times we see phrases like chasing after the wind, vanity, futility. This was meaningless. And so he sets up pleasure to see if pleasure would really be the answer. And if you've marked 1 Kings chapter four, if you wanna go ahead and turn over there, we see how Solomon's life Fits so well what the writer here is describing. Look at what happens in the latter half of chapter 4 as we see all the kingdoms over which Solomon ruled. Verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Those deputies provided for King Solomon and all who came to King Solomon's table. Each in his month, they left nothing lacking. They also brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be, each according to his charge. Just a few verses earlier, we see his provision for one day. And as we look through and see all the flour and the meal and the oxen and the sheep and the deer, gazelles as we see that long list of everything that just a day of Solomon's life would take, we're we're able to imagine such incredible wealth. And we usually think that if we had that kind of wealth and could provide that kind of pleasure, we'd be happy, wouldn't we? I mean, isn't that really what it would take? Just If we could just have one more thing that we've been thinking about, if we could just accumulate enough wealth to be able to do this or to accomplish this person. This purpose, We see that Solomon had more wealth than we can imagine. And yet, when this writer comes to the end of all of this wealth, he realizes it was futility. It was chasing after the wind. None of this wealth ama- amounted to very much. As we think about that same pitfall in our lives... It's interesting to think about a phrase Solomon uses, uh, as, or rather the Ecclesiastes writer who seems to be Solomon as we think about uh, Solomon writing this book all the time using the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun. There really isn't anything new under the sun, is there? What would you say if I told you today that you had a windfall of over $100 million? What would you do with $100 million? Wouldn't you be able to do some things that that would provide happiness, that would provide contentment, surely provide some financial security. As we think about those same pitfalls in our day, am reminded of Jack Whitaker, who in 2002 won the largest Powerball jackpot at that time. It was over $300 million by the time taxes had gotten through with it. He had a lump sum payment of $113 million. Now you can imagine the changes in life that took place When he had $113 million, he received requests for money from everyone. And as he received that that lump sum payment, he told the world that he was going to use it for charitable causes. In fact, he donated millions of dollars to charities and to churches. He was willing to use that money to do what was good, but it it would be nothing for his assistants to spend 10 hours a day opening mail. Not reading letters, just opening letters, requesting money from him. And it was just last year in the Washington Post when they did a follow-up story on what had happened in his life since then. He'd had thousands of dollars stolen from cars and from homes. He'd spent two times in jail under DUI charges, once because of assault. Several lawsuits had been filed. He had an outstanding gambling debt he hadn't paid. His granddaughter, for whom he was going to use so much of this money, was found dead in a very mysterious circumstance because of a drug overdose, although she wasn't found in her own home. And there were all sorts of terrible tragedies that had taken place in his life. And he made this statement. He said, since I won the lottery, I think there is no control for greed. I think if you have something, there's always someone else that wants it. I wish I'd torn that ticket up. Seems like $100 million would fix everything, wouldn't it? Wouldn't wealth really meet that void that we have in our life? Wouldn't that give us a purpose? And yet look at how difficult it is when we see real life examples. In fact, that sounds like what the Ecclesiastes writer would say. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Chapter 5 and verse 10. Verse 11, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So not only was, is money one of those... Uh, pillars that is knocked down by these first two chapters but we also see wisdom addressed here in this next portion. If you look in verse 12 the writer says I, I turned to consider wisdom, madness and folly for what will man do who has, will come after the king except what has already been done. And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. When we think about Solomon obviously having that great understanding of wisdom, being gifted from God from wisdom in fact the latter part of Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us there were rulers that came from all around just to hear what Solomon had to say. He had a tremendous amount of wisdom. And so he understands how wisdom excels folly. And I think it's interesting as we go through our daily Bible readings that 1 Corinthians, the first few chapters goes right along with Ecclesiastes because in those first few chapters Paul talks about wisdom, doesn't he? He talks about the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. How the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. We can't fathom the wisdom of God. And again, Solomon is is showing us that, that that godly wisdom, that good wisdom, excels folly every time. I like a statement that is made later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9, verse 17, that the quiet words of the wise are better than the shouts of a fool. When we think of our world today, there's a lot of shouting taking place, isn't there? As I was thinking about this passage, I was also reminded of Psalm 14 in which David wrote that a fool is one who said in his heart there is no God. And so if you think about Solomon's, if you think about this, this dil- dilemma that Solomon has as he has all of this wisdom. The Ecclesiastes writer tells us that the, the whispers of the wise are better than the shouts of a fool. And we think about the shouting taking place. I wanted to share with you a, a writing by a man named Richard Rorty who passed away just last year, he spent years teaching for Princeton University, Stanford, University of Virginia, some of our leading universities. He wrote in his book, Rorty uh, and his critics, in uh, an essay entitled Universality and Truth, the following statement. He said, when we American college teachers encounter religious fundamentalists, and he would probably include us in that group, holding to scripture and what scripture says, that's what he would be thinking of as he says that, we do not consider the possibility of reformulating our own practices of justification so as to give more weight to the authority of Christian scriptures. In other words, if someone comes in who's a Christian, I don't think about changing my mindset to honor a Christian scripture. Instead, we do our best to convince these students of the benefits of secularization, the benefits of becoming more like the world. So we are going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, speaking of parents, of Christian parents. Trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity. Trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. We are not so inclusivist as to tolerate intolerance such as yours. There's a lot of shouting going on out there, isn't there? By those who believe there is no God. There is is an effort by those who believe there is no God to try to pollute our airwaves and and have so many competing voices to that whisper of wisdom that we read about in the scripture. And so as we think about wisdom, we know that it excels folly, but it's interesting to find out what the Ecclesiastes writer here discovered, and that is at the end, the wise has the same destination as the fool, and that is the grave. There's nothing inherently about wisdom that gives life life. Meaning, Even holding to wisdom, that still doesn't avoid the pitfall of death that comes after life. And so thirdly, he's, he points to labor. He points to work. And in an extended section here in the latter half of chapter 2, he talks about all the wonderful things that he did. First Kings 5 tells us that Solomon had a forced uh, work labor program where he had about 30,000 men They worked in shifts of 10,000. You'd work a month on the temple and have two months off. So he has thousands of men at his disposal to do these wonderful things. He created so many things in his life and yet work was futile. In fact, he makes the statement that as he talks about all his labors in verse 18, he must leave it to the man who will come after him. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Now think for a second about the life of Solomon. Who did Solomon leave his kingdom to? The son Rehoboam. And we see what happens as Rehoboam makes a, the mistake to try to tax the people even more and be even harder, eventually causing the split between God's people and the northern and southern tribes. And so as these first two chapters have really taken down these pillars of pleasure, of wisdom, of work that people might hold up, what is the purpose? And tonight as, as we pull these thoughts together about the book of Ecclesiastes, the last passage I'd like for us to turn to is Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. You see, in chapter 3, there's a shift in the way the Ecclesiastes writer writes. He keeps talking about meaningless things and vanity, but he's pointing to God as a way to build a foundation. It's almost like those first two chapters tear down all those, those false purposes we might have for life, and then he begins building up what we should be basing our life on. And this isn't the only statement he makes like this one, but it's, it's a good one for us to reflect on this evening. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. To eat to drink and enjoy oneself in one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Again, that theme of Ecclesiastes. There are some things that are meaningless, but when we have God in our life, we can find that which is meaningful. The first thing he mentions is enjoying God's blessings. Did you know that it is okay for us as Christians to enjoy our blessings? It's okay for us to enjoy life. It's even biblical for us to enjoy the life that God has given us. It's biblical for us as a congregation to enjoy these blessings that God has bestowed upon us. The facility that we have to meet in, the talents of the members here in this congregation, we should rejoice in that, not because we're great, but because God is great. A relationship with God gives those things meaning. That's what separates it from just enjoying pleasure. We have that relationship with God. He also talks about working for the Lord. If you've ever wondered why those SOS books are so important, why it's so important to plug into a ministry, it's because a gift God has given us is the ability to work for him. So enjoying his blessings isn't just a pass for us to be able to sit on a recliner or a couch and not do anything during the day. We enjoy those blessings. We also enjoy working hard for him. Going out and and participating in these mission trips, finding your place in a ministry to plug in and to work hard for the Lord, that's something we can rejoice in. And ultimately, looking beyond this life to the next life. We are never going to find meaning in the lives we live if we're not thinking eternally. Because when we look at the world around us, if this was the end, if this was it, It would be easy to get discouraged. It would be easy to get depressed. It would be easy to start off just like the writer does in Ecclesiastes and say, this is all meaningless. Pleasure doesn't last forever. All of of the wisdom we might have doesn't keep us from that end result of death. Our hard work isn't going to last forever after we're gone. But if we have that relationship with God, we can look beyond this life. What is the point of our life? The point is that God gives our life meaning. And when we submit our lives to God, when we put him on in baptism and begin walking in a life that seeks to glorify and honor him, we can enjoy tremendous blessings. We can enjoy the assurance of a home in heaven. We can enjoy the love of brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only that, but we can enjoy working for him, plugging into this congregation and and working hard for the Lord. Not because we want to grow large and talk about the wonderful ministries we have, but because we want to point people to God. And as we look beyond this life, We have a reward that's unmatched. The choice is simple. It's the choice Solomon had. Do I choose what's meaningless? Do I choose what's meaningful? The same choice is here for us. Are we going to choose what's meaningless? Or are we going to choose what's meaningful? And tonight, if you're here and you want to make that choice by submitting your will to Christ, beginning that walk of faith, putting him on in baptism and serving him, or if you've made that choice and you want to renew that choice, please make that need known as we stand and sing together.